0: Look at the history of computing. We had like really large room-sized computers in the 1960s. But now, as, as time has progressed, after a few decades, we have like computers which are like pocket-sized and, and also variable, right? So thinking 50 years ahead, what we can imagine is that these devices will integrate and blend ourselves, build themselves onto our bodies. So this is what I'm basically looking into, how we can uh, interweave computing and interaction with our body and how we can use our body as a medium for interaction too.
1: Hey, and welcome back to the What the Tech podcast. My name is Christopher, and in this episode, Kelsey and I talked to Aditya Nitala. We had a great discussion about his work with human-computer interaction and in particular, the sensors and programs that are being used right now for research on the human body. All right, let's see what the tech is going on. So, hey, welcome to the, back to the What the Tech podcast. We are here with Aditya. How are you doing today?
0: Hello, Christopher. Hi, Kisliya, yeah, I'm doing good.
1: So uh, yeah, Aditya, as we mentioned previously, he is an assistant professor at the U of C right now, uh, brand new, and he's in human-computer interaction. So I uh, just want to start the interview off by asking uh, what kind of things are you working on at the U of C right now? What kind of classes are you going to be teaching? And what are your big areas of interest?
0: Yeah, so I'm a newly hired faculty member in the computer science department at U of C. And my area of research is in human computer interaction. And specifically what I am interested in or my research will be focusing in is how we can bring interactivity to our everyday environment. So as a first step in my PhD, what I have uh, looked into is to bring interaction closer to our human body. So. If you can look at the history of computing, we had like really large room-sized computers in the 1960s. But now, as as time has progressed, after a few decades, we have like computers which are like pocket-sized and and also wearable, right? So thinking 50 years ahead, what we can imagine is that these devices will integrate and blend ours, blend themselves onto our bodies. So this is what I'm basically looking into, how we can uh, interweave computing and interaction with our body and how we can use our body as a medium for interaction too. And and one of the key uh, advantages here is that uh, we know a lot about uh, ourselves and the body. So it's, it's in scientific terms called proprioception, which means that we have a very good understanding of the 3D space around us. And we also know how we can orient ourselves uh, in the 3D space. And, and hence it makes interaction with new kinds of interfaces very easy and very intuitive. And an example is if you are very, if you're traversing a really complex virtual environment and even if you want to do some gesturing interfaces, doing them on your body makes it so much easier rather than to learn the interaction mechanisms of a new controller or a new device. So this is where I am working on, like creating tattoo-like devices that blend onto your human body, or uh, skin stickers that can sense your physiological signals like ECG or heart rate, and even maybe chemical sensing in the future. And we also like to extend this to some like environmental scale sensing. So for example, uh, devices in our kitchen or devices in living rooms, being able to understand a lot more about what we are interacting with, what's our current state of activity, what's our current health state and all these aspects. So this is this is the overall broad vision and that's why the, the name of my research lab is DIFFLAB, which is Devi- Devices, Interaction and Fabrication for the Future, which is more of taking an overall holistic approach towards this entire uh, research space.
2: Nice. That is super interesting that you're kind of combining, I guess, a little bit of almost like biology and physiology with the computer stuff. Um, So like now knowing a little bit more about what you do, um, I wanted to ask, have you taken any biology courses or have you had to learn um, some new terms or things that have kind of been more of a challenge to you?
0: Yes, so this this is a really, really multidisciplinary or transdisciplinary field, and it's it's not only like confined within the space of computer science because there are there is computer science, there's electrical engineering, there's biomedical engineering. The moment you start to monitor the physiological signals in the body, that the biomedical engineering comes up. The material science comes up because you need to understand what are the materials that work with the body for doing sensing and uh, actuation so it's it's a really uh new and emerging field and, and this is why like in one of my recent papers i term this as epidermal computing so it's the epidermal is referring to the human skin so it's the epidermis is the outermost layer so it's the epidermal and then and, and the computing is happening on it so that's why as a step further from variable computing i, I kind of uh, came up with this terminology of epidermal computing and the devices which are enabling these are called epidermal devices. And this is, this has been my kind of, uh, I would say like the goal or the vision. And yes, I did have to kind of read a lot of textbooks from these uh, and also papers from other disciplines and journals, which I also do right now. And uh, specifically, I, I had to, <clears throat> understand uh, the, the, the principles of how our body signals can be captured, How is it? Gen- how are they generated and how we can measure them and how we can put them into practice for various applications. So th- th- there is like a lot of uh, knowledge that needs to be assimilated from various other disciplines too. And that's why my, my research lab would be focusing not only on the computer science side of things, but also on various other disciplines, such as design, materials, biomedical engineering, electrical, and all these things. So when people and students from all these disciplines come together, we can build something really, really cool and awesome uh, interfaces that will open up new opportunities for future interactions. So yeah, th- th- there is obviously stuff to be learned from other disciplines, but the, the good thing is, since there is a lot of collaboration among different schools and uh, faculty across departments in, in U of C, this makes it so much more easier because uh, a few days back, I had an opportunity to, do, to meet with the Dean of School of Engineering, where again we had the same discussion of how we can have students from CS plus biomedical collaborate on various kinds of projects which can be used in the healthcare industry. So yeah, these kinds of opportunities always are there obviously which makes it really, really interesting in terms of various kinds of projects that can be you know initiated. and I'm also looking forward to these new collaborations and new projects that are coming that will be coming in the few uh, months.
1: Yeah, no, that that sounds incredible. I just wanna take a step and ask you more about the uh, different materials you're using in order to make these measurements and make these readings. Uh, What kind of materials are you using and what kind of readings are these materials doing?
0: So yeah, uh, the the readings and, and the measurements which you take depend on the application. So an example is if you want to measure heart rate or ECG, you need to measure uh, the electrical signals that that actually come up when the heart beats. So when heart pumps blood, there is a change in electric potential. So we need to kind of measure these changes in electric potentials so that we can measure the heart rate, right? So in a similar way, if you want to measure electromyography, which is EMG, uh, it's it's nothing but an act, muscle activity. So if you're kind of making some sort of a pinch gesture or flexing your elbows, there's a small voltage generated because the muscles are moving, and the device needs to be able to capture these really really tiny voltages. So the voltages which are generated are in terms of millivolts or microvolts. And to get this into perspective. Uh, a simple AA battery is like roughly 1.5 volts, right? So if you compare the voltages which are generated through our muzzle movements, it's it's maybe like a hundred times or even thousand times lower than what you would get from these, right? So these are like really tiny voltages. So the devices must be able to capture these really minute changes in electrical signatures. And, and hence the devices which we fabricate or which we realize should not only have these capabilities, but also Uh, should also have the capability to be on the skin for extended durations of the time so which means that they should not only have like really tight contact with the skin but they should also be there for sufficiently long time otherwise you cannot pick the signals up and uh, another thing which I forgot to add is apart from physiological signals just just imagine that if you want to uh do some touch sensing on the skin here again the, the parameters of measurements are different so if you want to sense like in a pinch to zoom gesture on your forearm here you need to capture the changes in the capacitance which is again like a different electrical measurement <laughs> so depending upon your application the the device of the design of the device and the materials you use and the structure it has change. so to to counter for all of this I don't use like a single material or so, but it's more of a combination of functional materials. And the research is in how you can kind of come up with new device designs that that enable the measurement of these devices. So an example is you have your touch screen on your phone, right? You can sense multi-touch signals on your phone, but if you just take the sensor out and put on your skin, it doesn't work because Firstly, the touchscreen is not flexible enough to wrap around your forearm or hand. Secondly, uh, the materials which are made for the phone are not compatible uh, to be put onto the human skin. So the moment you bend, the the touchscreen will break or uh, they might not be biocompatible. So the challenge here is more about how you can make the device not only work on your skin, but also look for uh, materials and substrates that can flex and stretch with the skin. So these are the challenges and these are the research goals that you need to firstly uh, solve for creating these devices. And of course, most most of the times um, I have only used like off-the-shelf materials. So most of them have been like of temporary tattoos. If you have used these temporary tattoo materials as a kid, like, you know, the Spider-Man tattoos or the Batman tattoos, it's the same material. But then instead of using colored inks, uh, we have used uh, special functional inks like silver or other materials like P.PSS or like other other chemicals to actually uh, create these devices that are very stretchable and flexible enough so that they can be put on the skin for extended durations. So yeah, this is like, uh, I don't have like one single answer with respect to like a specific single material that solves all the problems, but it's always like, depending on what you would want to do, you need to kind of come up with the device design and the set of functional materials uh, for first creating the design. And then once you put this onto the body, you you then need to go into the signal processing side to capture the signals and then putting them into a meaningful format so that we can then, again, feed them into a machine learning pipeline for capturing gestures or other kinds of uh, interactions. So it's like a complete pipeline, right, from your uh, hardcore physical device design, to fabrication, to signal processing, to uh, final machine learning uh, pipeline to create this end-to-end device uh, you know, pipelines.
1: That's super fascinating. Uh, so you just touched on a little bit the data you're collecting from these sensors on attached to a human body. Uh, yeah. What kind of processing do you have to do to make sense of this data and make any you know, conclusions about it or any inferences? Uh, what kind of formats are you getting? Is it just numbers or do you have any more information off these sensors?
0: So all, the, all these uh, signals which you get are like in terms of numbers, right? Because usually uh, everything is more kind of, I would say, uh, like any signal which you get is it's in terms of numbers. It's it's just that you need to process them to kind of get some uh, information. So an example here is uh, <clears throat> when there, is, if you if you take this very simple touch sensor with mean, the baseline noise you get some sort of numbers like you know 5 10, 15 you know 15 or 20 when there is no touch happening but then when a sound touch up occurs basically the signal shoots up so you get a number which is really really high like you know 500 or 600 so this is where you can actually when you visualize these numbers you actually see that there is a signal or there's a touch happening. And I mean, you can you see this numbers, but then only once you kind of put them through like visualization schema, you can actually see that there is a really nice changes in signals based on how you're interacting with the device. So there is a good element of information visualization here, where then it's more about how you represent this data. But mostly I would say that in terms of the signals and the data which we're capturing, it's it's always kind of, Raw signals or raw numbers, which you are getting, and then it's it's more about how you process this and how you extract meaningful data from it. That's what is the more important thing, and how you are going to put into use. How are you going to put it in, like you know, for example, on on an, uh, on an infant to monitor their you know uh, daily activities, or do you want to put them on animals to monitor their activities? or activity recognition and stuff like this. So there are like lots of applications. So depending on those, again, you might need to kind of uh, look for your target or look look for the specific signatures that you are interested in because each of those activities might have a different signature. So an example again here is if you're putting a sensor on your knee and you would want to kind of measure the steps the signal signature would be different than compared to like you know running. It's because in, in case of running it's a continuous fast-paced high frequency action so you would have like a peaks occurring at, at a very fast rate but on the other hand if you want to just count the steps or maybe even more slightly uh, other activity which is involving lower frequency uh, signals then the signals Signature will be very different. So it, it again, depends on different applications. But in the end, all of these are kind of raw signals and raw numbers that you get from these sensors and hardware that you need to, again, process and uh, get a better understanding of it.
2: Okay, yeah. Um, That's very interesting that you have, I guess, very situation-specific data and kind of ways of going about figuring out what's going on, I guess. I guess my question would be what sorts of like programs or maybe like algorithms or languages do you specifically use to kind of process this data and go from like these numbers into like something that's useful?
0: So so for simple device design, like, you know, just experiment with the devices and like how we create those sensors, we usually use Arduino or Raspberry Pi, which are like Really very easy and user-friendly prototyping platform. So Arduino, if you guys have heard of Arduino, it's an open source hardware platform uh, toolkit which allows you to quickly, like with minimal amount of code, you can kind of understand how these sensors or actuators work and then you can play around with with some really cool sensors and other smaller electronic components Uh, and basically you can just use those to get the data from these sensors and the good thing about this Arduino or like other uh, some of these open source hardware platforms is that they allow you to quickly get these data from these lower level sensors and then they allow you to stream it to some higher application program like like a Python or uh, or a Java or a JavaScript application. So once you have this data stream to a server or, or a other, other application which is running on another programming language, it's in the end, it's nothing but just a piece of numbers, like set of numbers or stream of numbers going at a specific uh, board rate, right? So usually my students, the other students whom I'm supervising, I, I don't kind of put any kind of specific requirements on the programming languages because irrespective of whatever programming language you use, it's the same set of algorithms or same set of processing techniques that you would be using to process this data. So an example is if you're getting this data from the sensor in Python, you can you can write your if you're comfortable in Python, you can write a Python script to gather this data. And then you can use like a low pass filter or a high pass filter to filter this data. And then you can basically use your own uh, machine learning libraries in Python to put this into a classifier. Similarly, it's the case with Java too, because right now almost all the programming languages have the uh, libraries and uh, add-ons to do these functionalities. So I'm not very particular about like specific programming languages, but it's it's more about uh, trying to understand. Uh, what's coming, how we can process it, and then how we can make sense of it. So if you, if you know what you want to do and how you want to do it, I think you can use any of your tools in your programming languages to build this stuff.
2: Okay, yeah, that totally makes sense that, yeah, I guess it's more about like the process and not necessarily about which language you're using. Yes. Um, and I know you've just mentioned that you have some students that you're working with and you mentioned before about um, some multi-disciplinary teams coming up. I wanted to ask, are there opportunities for students to connect with you? Are you going to be like teaching a class in the fall? Just maybe yeah, a little bit more about those groups and um, some of the work you're doing at the school.
0: Yeah, sure. So yeah, I- I'm still kind of willing to take on students, uh, especially like if, if anyone wants to a master's thesis or even like looking for a phd or even i'm currently i'm, I'm i'll be advising students in the summer who are bachelor's students uh, taking cpsc 502 and 503 and yeah but but i'm also still open to students who would want to take these uh, this uh, cpsc 502 or 503 or even like masters thesis students as well or even if you would want to kind of have a project in mind or if you want to just work with me, you can just send, send me an email and then we can schedule and we can kind of think of projects that can align with, with the skill sets um, or, or the interests that you match. So I'm open to them and it's definitely, definitely a possibility. And for the courses, I'm not teaching anything in in the fall, but I'll be teaching two, two courses in the winter 2023. So one is information visualization and the other is like a, 599 slash 601, like a higher end grad course, which is going to teach students about all these aspects of sensing, how we can create, you know, the, the wearable devices for the future. Starting from the basics of, for example, how a simple sensor in your phone works to how you can create your own and how you can create something which is way more sophisticated than that. This is something which we'll be doing in that class in 599 slash am I'm going to kind of announce the title, but most likely it would be sensing interaction and sensing actuation interaction or something along these lines. And this would be like the main focus on creating cutting edge devices for the future. Like, you know, like 20 years or 30 years down the line, uh, you know, how, how, how are the devices going to look like? What are the capabilities that they will be having and how we can kind of, uh, use the principles from physics or principles from uh, biomedical engineering and, and other disciplines to create these devices and how we can add the computational science twist into these as these uh, devices. So this this course will basically be teaching and it's going to be like a project oriented course. So it's it's not something that you would be giving an exam, but it's like you will be actually building stuff as a part of that course. So yeah, that, that would be the way I am designing both my courses. So both of them are like really hands-on. Uh, the information visualization would also be like hands-on course, like the project component where you would be working on a project to create new visualizations of how we can present information in a very informed way. And on the the other course is more of how we can create devices for the future and how we can build them. And this would be more of like a technical let's say a course in terms of understanding the fundamentals of the sensing principles and then putting them into practice.
1: Okay, for sure. So you mentioned that these two classes that you will be teaching in the future are more masters based classes. Um, For any undergraduates listening, what courses would you recommend them taking or skills that you recommend them looking at if they want to pursue um, maybe research or career working with uh, these kind of technologies we've been discussing?
0: Yeah, so uh, I would highly recommend taking any HCI courses um, because we do have a lot of HCI courses in our department starting with like 481. So we are also uh, kind of thinking about having another hci course 381 which is more like a precursor uh, to this course too but but this is something which is still under planning and it's not yet concrete yet but yeah so i would, I would basically recommend students to uh take any sort of hci course you know if it be 481 581 so that they already have the basics and of the interaction design and uh, HCI in general. And then like all these other courses they are basically adding on top of the basic knowledge that's, that's uh, imparted through 481 or other, other courses.
1: But even, even
0: if, you know, students have not got the chance to take like, you know, one of those courses, it's totally fine too, because these courses, what I plan to have, I, I would also kind of expect that maybe a few few students from other disciplines might also be uh, open to take them so I'm, I'm still kind of looking into options for this so it's totally fine if for some reason if students have been unable to take a 481 or uh, other essay course it's it's totally fine too because i will kind of try to design it in a way that if it's for if it's a first timer then they would still be able to kind of take the course. But but I think one thing which should definitely be, you know, like a prerequisite is that like students should know uh, have good programming skills or they should have taken at least, you know, the, the, the core CS fundamental courses like data structures or programming languages or these uh, software engineering kind of courses so that they would be able to kind of do these kinds of, tasks quickly and easily once they are building these devices. So that's that's something which I guess people would have taken by the time they are taking a fine line course. So yeah, generally speaking that it put in a nutshell, like you if you get a like chance just take 481 and then maybe like 5812 if it, if it allows and, and then like it becomes so much more easier for, for you to transition into this uh, other courses.
2: Okay, yeah, that's great that there's like some precursors um, that you can take in undergrad before
0: um, yeah. graduate
2: school that kind of introduce you to these topics. Um, okay. I guess my final question would kind of be um, do you have any advice for maybe um, a, either a high school or an undergraduate student who's maybe never done computer science or maybe has like a little knowledge but has never worked with human computer interactions before? Um, yeah, if you just kind of have some words of advice or anything you'd like to say to them.
0: I, I think my only piece of advice is like what matters in this area is like just your interest and passion. So just I, I myself, I can give an example of myself. So I, I had never taken any computer science course in my school. Um, so the first programming course I took was in my undergrad because I was a bachelor's. I was doing my bachelor's in computer science, but before that, I had never had any experience of programming at all. And believe me, I never took a HCI course in my bachelor's too. The first HCI course I took was in my master's again. So I think there wouldn't be like a, a maybe like a better or even worse example than me in terms of someone who has not taken an HCI course and and yet gone on to have a PhD in HCI so so all I would say is that all you need is kind of interest and passion and if you have that things will automatically follow and this is a field like which is one of the very very interdisciplinary fields in HCI so it's it's very welcoming in terms of uh, the discipline so if even if you're a mechanical engineer there are, there are like just to put it bluntly there are like researchers who are like strong mechanical engineers who are HCI researchers. Similarly, there are electrical engineers who are strong HCI researchers. So there there are like lots and lots of uh, people and I have known many of them who haven't had like a formal HCI course or formal CS education but have still gone on to be, be very, very highly successful in this area. So all you need is passion, interest and if you have any kind of questions or if you need any kind of advice or guidance, you can definitely reach out to me. Uh, I will be always be happy to have a chat. And even, you know, even if you would want to work with me, this is also totally fine. Even if, because I have, during my PhD, I've also helped and mentored high school students like in the ninth grade or 10th grade, like with very, really, very really simple, uh, you know, hardware and Arduino projects, you know, something like a simple uh, robot that waters the plant, every like every day or something along these lines so yeah there could be like really really fun projects that would give you an intro and you definitely do not need to have like a formal computer science education for that of course it would be helpful if it if you have one but definitely even without that like just with your skills and passion and interest we can definitely do it and build cool things uh if you have you know the the, the interest so anything that you would want to, you know, anything that interests and excites you in this area, you can definitely reach out to me, and I can definitely be of—I I hope so—at least that I can—I can give you a good guidance or try to be a mentor in terms of how you can achieve your goal.
2: Yeah, that's great. Well, Chris and I want to thank you so much, Aditya, for uh, yeah. coming on this podcast and sharing a bit about what you're doing at the university. It's really exciting to hear kind of about. Um, where we're headed in the future with computer science.
0: Thank you. thank you. Thanks a lot for having me here. It was a really pleasure for me to actually uh, have a chat and also share what my vision is, what my, to talk about my research area and also to talk broadly about CI, computer science and uh, education. Uh, that's, that's just going beyond one single discipline and transcending into a multidisciplinary area. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be working on this uh, and also looking forward to working with lots of collaborative students. Yeah, I'm also excited to teach uh, really, really nice uh, brand new courses in the uh, next winter. So yeah, really, really looking forward to that.
1: Hey, listener. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the What the Tech podcast. Thanks so much again to Aditya for being our guest. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at U underscore CPSC, where we'll be running a contest for a few cool U uh, of C computer science uh, items. And make sure to leave a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Have a great day.